These intros, for whatever reason, seem to be the hardest part of the podcast. I'm trying to get better at it, so here we go. It is Sunday, January 24th, 2016. We just had a blizzard. I guess it was named Jonas. I don't really know. Sounds like a boy band name to me. I'm outside Boston. We didn't get hit too hard. I think we got like five to six inches. I guess New York got buried. I was looking on Instagram. Sucks for them. But good for us. We're chilling. I had to shovel three different times throughout the night. Two inches would fall. I'd go out there and clean it up. That way I didn't have to do it all in the morning. What happens too is the plows come by. And the end of my driveway just becomes like a four foot wall of just ice. It's brutal. And uh, But we're doing good. I kept up with the shoveling. My neighbor actually came over with a snow blower. Hooked up the bottom so I didn't have to do the heavy stuff. Which is awesome, which reminds me, I gotta go to Dunkin' Donuts and pick up a gift card for that guy. Dunkin' Donuts isn't sponsoring the podcast, although that would be cool. So, if anyone out there knows someone from Dunkin's, hit him up, tell him about the Shetler Show. <laughs> that would be epic. Uh, having advertisers for the podcast is something new to me, so please bear with me. Uh, if I do have a sponsor of the show, I'm gonna back it. I don't want to have any garbage. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, like, have ads and just be collecting money if I don't support it. So, all the brands that I work with, I'm going to support 100. And first up, we have Narragansett Beer, which was a no-brainer. This one was easy for me because we've actually worked with Gansett in the past. We did a collab skateboard deck with them, which you, I believe you can still cop if you go to their online store at narragansettbeer.com. You can pick up one of those boards, which are our, my homie um, Paul Francis Lambert hand drew this awesome like uh, lady and put it on a skateboard because Narragansett they have the Gansett girls, which is cool. They support a bunch of girls that do modeling and it's pretty epic. They make a calendar and all that. So I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to their website and kind of check out their current happenings so you guys can hear about it. Let's see. I guess they have their 125th anniversary party, which is crazy to think they've been in business for 125 years. Here, I'm just going to read it off the website so you guys have all the information. Head to the iconic Lansdowne Pub on Lansdowne Street um, tomorrow, Monday, January 25th, to celebrate their 125th anniversary. Get it? Celebrate our 125th on 125. Yeah, we thought that, that we thought it was clever, too. Yeah, it would have been clever if I didn't butcher reading it. <laughs> Alright, let's see. We'll have Beers on Tap. The Ganta Girls will be there. There'll be live music from Ghost of Paul Revere. And plenty of games and, games and gear. Head on down at 7pm and ring in our 125th with us. Sounds cool. If you got nothing to do and you're looking for something epic to do and you're in the Boston area, go check it out. And check out their website, narragansbeer.com. They got all types of good beers on there. I really like the Coffee Milk Stout, which I said before in other episodes, but it's a collab with Autocrat. They also have another collab with uh, Dell's Lemonade. Growing up in New England, in the summers, it's so humid. Everybody knows about Dell's Lemonade here. You see that, the sign, and you just your mouth starts watering. And uh, it's cool, once you hit 21+, plus, they got a little collab beer with Dell's Lemonade, so that one's delicious as well. I really like their lager. They have a summer ale that, summer ale that is amazing as well. And you can follow them at Beer on Instagram and Twitter as well. So yeah, thanks for supporting the podcast. Next up we have Surf Expo. 
Surf Expo is sponsoring the last few episodes and the next episodes coming out. They, uh, you know, they hired me to record podcasts at the trade show, which was a huge opportunity for me. I got to talk with all types of epic people, entrepreneurs and brands and just kind of pick their brain about how their brand came to be and what their goals are for the future. Uh, I was really stoked to have a media pass, and they hooked it up with a booth, which I got to stock out with all I need, and the New England Am banners, and all the boards, and it was cool. It was like a really cool opportunity. I had Timmy Knuth stay and come out to the trade show, and we had a mini ramp there, and I got to see my homies, and it was a rad like three days of just meeting people, skating, and having a blast. If you want to check out Surf Expo, you can go to surfexpo.com. They have another event coming up uh, September 8th through the 10th. And that is at Orange County Convention Center, Orlando, Florida. So if you're a brand and you're looking for a place to connect with other entrepreneurs and and to showcase everything you're doing, check out surfexpo.com. And as always, each episode is brought to you by All I Need. For those that have been listening to the podcast, you guys already know about AIN. But for those just tuning in, All I Need is skateboarding. I've loved skateboarding for over 20 years. When I first found skateboarding... It was it just like lit up my life. There wasn't even a question whether I was going to do it. I started skateboarding. One day I found out about skateboarding. And then the next day it wasn't even a question. It was like, let's go skateboarding. Let's go skateboarding. And that's carried on for 20 plus years now. So I don't know. When the recession hit, my sponsors bowed out. So I decided, fuck it. The show goes on. So we started All I Need Skateboards. And we started with just t-shirts, beanies, and hoodies. And we've grown into making skateboard decks. Um, we have artists and filmers we work with. We have a whole team. We have amateurs, Billy Drown. We have Timmy Knuth as a pro. Corey Goonan, we were able to turn him pro. We took him skydiving for his first time. And when he came down, his family hooked him up with his first pro board. You can check all that out at allineedskate.com. And if you click at the store link at the top of the page... We are actually having an online sale. This is the last week of it. It ends February 1st. But if you're trying to cop some All I Need apparel, you can get t-shirts and beanies for 12 bucks. The hoodies and windbreakers are only $20. Uh, you got you to gotta get it before the 1st, though, because the sale ends then. There's limited sizes on everything, so if it's sold out, I'm sorry. And to everyone who's already taken advantage of our January sale, I appreciate it. Your orders are going out this week. We are also on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at All I Need Skate. So check it all out and follow us and subscribe and real recognize real. I know you guys love skateboarding. It's a need in your life just like me. So let's keep it growing. Your dollars go right back into supporting skateboarding and the skateboarding culture, which means more skate videos, more professional skateboarders, more skateboarding tours, all the things we love. Today's guest is legendary Reggie Barnes. This was a real epic opportunity for me to sit down and speak with this man. He's done it all in skateboarding. He was a pro skateboarder, a shop owner, skate park owner, a distributor, you name it. He's seen it. He's seen all the ebbs and flows. So sit back, relax, get some coffee, maybe a Narragansett beer, I don't know, some popcorn, and enjoy. This is the Shetler Show. Whatever you do, you have one thing that's unique. You have the ability to make art. And when things get tough, this is what you should do. Microphone check, one, two, one, two. Microphone check, one, two, one, two. 
I hope they get it, I'm sick of explaining history I'm rolling with a circle of winners, we claim the victories yeah. Come on. It's about to be the realest shit you ever heard You're in a transitional world right now Yeah, it's just basically going for it, you know Sometimes you don't know, think about getting hurt or slamming, but you know, it happens. It's skateboarding. You know, it happens every day. Yep. People are worried about skateboarding and the skate state of the industry. Yeah. The truth is, we are the industry. Yeah. Skateboarders are the industry. Experience, I guess, just because there's like, I've never seen like that many skaters in one place. Just like, it's like we take over the streets. Alright. Another podcast. You are number three today. I've done two already. Okay. But I'm keeping a little shorter just because we're at Surf Expo. Uh, I got Reggie. Reggie with me. Reggie Barnes. Um, I, let's start off. My favorite way to start off is to ask you how you got your first skateboard and how you found out about skateboarding. All right. Well, my first skateboard I, I um, got from a friend of mine in my neighborhood I grew up in in Cary, North Carolina. Sick. And I went over to my buddy's house and he had a an old super surfer skateboard in his garage that he wasn't using anymore. Sick. It had clay wheels, loose ball bearings. Right. And uh, he sold it to me for $2. Damn, good friend. And, uh, was that a lot? I yeah, mean... Well, I guess, damn, I mean, at my age... Yeah, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but it, that's the true story, though. $2, and um, there wasn't really anybody around where I lived skateboarding at the time. But I saw a picture of this guy, Greg Weaver, who was a legend skater in the 70s, and he was skating in a pool barefooted about halfway up the wall, just just getting on the perk, right? Gnarly. And that kind of inspired me. And in England, that's pretty much when I started. I was 14 years old, and it wasn't long after that board that I ended up getting a board with urethane wheels. Still had loose ball bearings. Yep. But anyway... Started there and it's gonna be hard. The clay wheels, uh, that's where they started from. Like before your thing, it was all clay yeah, wheels. Clay wheels. Well, even actually before that, were metal. Metal steel, wheels? Steel wheels. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Like, how do you ride that? Is it flat? Rough ride. Yeah, I and, imagine. Yeah, well, you needed a smooth surface, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so on nice, freshly paved asphalt, steel wheels were, were doable. Yeah. Uh, but the clay wheels were like a major improvement over that. And then, of course, your thing. It just kept getting better and better over time. When you started skating, was it freestyle? It was really just everything. We didn't break things down into different categories. You know, it was just you just skate. Yeah. And um, which is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of like to look at it that way now. Yeah. You know, you either skater or you're not. You know, and I still believe in the, the days of having a quiver. You know, a different skateboard for different. Oh, sick. Different arrows? Yeah, well, not just different arrows, but different terrain. You know, for example, you know, an A3 style board, or a street board, a pool board, a slalom board, a downhill board. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. The bigger wheels on the ramps are always yeah. amazing. I remember when I, because I grew up uh, in New England, and we had, actually we just saw Sid. Skaters Island was where we grew up, you know, like me, Zared, all these pros that came from the East Coast. With Skaters Island was amazing, and I remember seeing my buddy Crazy Horse there, and he would have two setups. He'd bring his vert board, and then he'd bring the other one out for street, and I was uh, I was just like, because when I first started skating, it was just, I got into street skating, you know, like that's what was cool, you know, and then uh, to see that... Um, multiple boards for one rider that's pretty sick man um go ahead back in the day there was uh one of my heroes was a guy named bruce walker okay and he's from florida and he had a who's hot in skateboarding magazine sick. but i always remember bruce one of the photos of him and his who's hot was sitting 
Indian style with a spread of all his different skateboards. Like, oh, that's like cool. Like fanned out in front of him. Yeah. And, and that's also a common thing in the surfboard world, too, obviously, is to have a quiver. Yep. You know, a different board for different size waves, different conditions. Sick. So anyway, that always stuck in my head, that picture of Bruce. Yeah, that's cool. I'm learning about the surf world as well now because of Conrad. He surfs... Uh, and he's been teaching me, and he actually took me and my lady out surfing, and do, he taught us the full surf lessons where I, we're on the beach, and I'm on my yeah. belly on the board standing up, and it's so cool. Well, uh, what's I was going to say, another thing that inspired us all back then when we were first starting was the, the tie between surf and skateboarding, because that's, that's where it all came from, sidewalk surfing. Yeah. So back then, we were really emulating surfing when we were skating. Yeah. We'd go up in driveways and do burps, like that's what a Bertelman turn, named after Larry Bertelman. We put one hand down. Conrad does this. Yeah, constantly emulating surfing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I really like that skating stemmed from surfing. Because like, when I found skating, it was just raw street skating. It was not anything resembling surfing at all. No, not, not at all. Yeah. But then you go back and you watch, like, uh, Lord of Dogtowns and all those videos, and I'm like, oh, I totally see how it started like that. It, it's, a, it's a rad beginning for skating to come from, for sure. Do you surf as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's all. Have you been surfing as long as you've been skating? Uh, almost. I think I started surfing seriously when I was 16. I started skating when I was 14. So almost the same amount of time. And... Yeah. and Forgive me for my ignorance. Were you a professional at either? In skateboarding, I was a professional. Sick. Yeah, you had a board and everything? Yeah, signature board for Walker Skateboards. So cool. And then I also ended up having one for Dogtown. That's awesome. Later on, yeah. That's so cool. Dogtown is surf influenced as well. Yes. Yeah, most of all those guys, at least most of them I know, were surf influenced. That's awesome. Okay, so to move forward a little bit, um, I want to talk about getting into the business side. So you started, you know, skating, you got turned into professional, and how did it lead into, like, a business in skating? All right, well, let's see, I thought I... First, um, said I turned pro in 1979, and my, my first, um, what, what made me pro was the fact that I was getting paid to skate. Yeah. Okay, and I was for Pepsi. I got hired by Pepsi wow. <laughs> out of, um... Purchase in New York, which is where the world headquarters is for Pepsi. Mm -hmm. Pepsi Co. is here. So uh, somehow they found out about me, um, just, you know, that's a small word, word amount. Yep. Somehow they found out about me, and I was a senior in high school. And they called my parents and asked if I could go on tour, travel around the country and do demos. Pepsi. Yeah, they had a half pipe and everything to pull behind the car. <laughs> Were your parents like, what is going on? Well, this is what happened. So that was in the spring of 1979. I only had a few months left in high school, and so I didn't want to drop out of school and get my GED. I thought, I want to complete my senior year. I want to do all the things that you do as a senior in high school, you know, the prom and all, you know, beach weekend and all that kind Sick. of stuff. So I opted to not go then, but there was another tour starting in June. Wait, you turned Pepsi down? <laughs> I just temporarily turned Pepsi okay. down. Like, you know, because they left the door open for me to go in a later tour, right? Right. So for me, it made more sense to go in June. Yeah. So I think it was the day after I graduated from high school in June, I flew up to New York, and we went to Purchase, New York, which is right close to White Plains. Yep, I know where White Plains is. we went is. to the world headquarters for Pepsi. And they, uh, they, they, um, they had an actor, right, which was the MC, yep. that would travel around with skate show. He wasn't a skater at all. He was an actor. Right? So he was good in front of the crowd with a mic. Yeah. The uh, MC, Master of Ceremonies. You know, there you go. And I had a handful of other guys with us. Um, and we were taught a show. 
So I, anyway, I'll, I don't want to drag this out too long, that part, but the long story short is we started touring the country doing demos and we were getting paid. So that made me pro, right? Yeah. But I didn't feel like a real pro because I had never won money. Yeah. So, you know, anybody can accept money and call themselves a pro. Yeah, right? you're, you're an employee. Yeah, employee. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't feel right about that. Yeah. But back then, it was a big deal. If you accepted money as an athlete, then you were considered professional and you would use your amateur status. Okay, yeah. So if there ever was an amateur contest and you had accepted money, then somebody could protest that and say, this guy's pro, no, it doesn't count. You, know, you can't let him enter and compete against us. Yeah. That actually happened to some guys. But, um, That's crazy because it's like yeah. the formation of like what it is now. Was, it was so cut. It seemed cutthroat kind of right there. Yeah, I think it was all based on the Olympics um, because... Back then, you know, professionals, people that had accepted money were not allowed to compete in the Olympics. But then I think it changed later with the basketball teams that the U.S. team yeah. were able to use professionals. Oh, yeah, I remember the rest that. Of the world. Yeah. And I think that kind of changed it. Now, and we dominated there you go. for a long and time. And we probably wouldn't have dominated had they not allowed that. What, what was it that made you feel like a professional? Well later on what I did is after the tour was over I took the money that I had saved traveling around the country I didn't even cash any more paychecks I had this giant envelope for the paychecks <laughs> I cashed them all when I got home this is the truth I cashed them all when I got home and then I took that money and I moved to California to Huntington Beach sick and I was determined to compete against the real pros and try to win one. So you can see so, where you really stand in? Well, just to see, yeah, am I a real pro or not, right? So I was from North Carolina, born and raised, and there were no pro skaters from North Carolina up until there, right? Yeah. So I moved out to Huntington Beach, which is where Powerflex was based out of, which back in the 70s was a really... That was the brand. Real company, and that was my sponsor. Oh, sick. At this time, Powerflex was out of business. They had shut down. Skateboarding was in a big lull. It was a downtime in skateboarding, so there weren't a lot of events, right? Yeah. So I stayed out there for about six months waiting for there to be a Flatland contest, a pro freestyle contest. Sure enough, they didn't have them in San Diego at Oasis. Sick. So I practiced at the pier every day, you know, with just visions of you know, competing against some of my heroes. Yeah. And uh, long story short, it's the same contest that Rodney Mullen turned pro. Wow. This is in 1980 now. Wow. So I went up there in 79, and the 1980s when the contest was. And uh, I, I mean, I was born in 82. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Right. Uh, but I'm just trying to frame it in my own mind. <laughs> but, so Rodney turned pro there as well. That was both of our first pro contest. But... Just um, the funny thing is, the entry fee was fifty dollars in Huntington. Okay, I didn't have a sponsor then because Powerflex was gone. You had some Pepsi checks now? Well, I still had some cash. That, that <laughs> Sick. So I um, I paid my own entry fee. I slept in my car in San Diego, and uh, and I got fifth place. And the prize money for fifth place was fifty dollars. Oh, you covered so your fee. <laughs> but I really felt. Official did kind of, even though it was I mean, it's a joke on my fifty dollars. It's not about the money. Yeah, it was about the guys that I was competing with, and like I, re I remember well, Rodney got first. Yeah, and I think he uh, maintained his amateur status. I don't think he took his money. Really? Yeah, because he was afraid then to, to, to officially turn pro, if I'm not mistaken. That's he may crazy. correct me. Stand be correct on that. Forgive me if I'm wrong, Rodney, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. 
Steve Rocco got second. Oh, sick. World. Chris Chappett got third, right. who, who had been the world champion in the 70s. Wow. This guy named Steve Day got fourth, and I got fifth. And then the list went on down. Um, Tim Scroggs was there, Pineapple. Chris, there's a lot of guys that had been my heroes. You know, so you felt validated. I you felt validated. Yeah. I'd say. It, it was a big deal to me as a kid in North Carolina. And then I felt like I could go home back to North Carolina and feel like I had um, accomplished what I had set out to do. Yeah, that's you know? that's awesome. Like, because I'm from the East Coast, you know, and we don't have much of it. We're starting to have more industry out there, you know. For a long time, it was just like big one big brand like New York, you know. And then, but California is oversaturated, so it's hard to kind of gauge where you're at with the industry. So I did the same, which is funny. I went to Huntington Beach, the first spot I went out there. Some Brian Sumner let me sleep on his couch, rope her birdhouse. And then I got to do demos with Tony and uh, contests. The one thing I was going to say that similar is I did the Tampa contest. Those are kind of where I felt validated because I went. I never did great at them. I never did great, but like I skated practice practice with Costin on all these dudes and like and just all these dudes and it like made me be like oh I'm kind of on the level you know yeah, like you're rubbing and, elbows with your heroes and of course they're noticing you too I'm sure yeah yeah exactly that that was one thing and when I saw Costin at one of the Tampa pros I went up and I was like what's up I'm Anthony he's like I know who you are you're in magazines I'm like oh yeah fuck that's sick <laughs> um, okay so moving forward so pro career to transition into business life with skating and alright so what happened is after I moved back um, from 81 till 85 there were a few contests here and there but I was able to live in North Carolina and but I, I got picked up by Walker Skateboards which was my one of my hero but Bruce Walker I was talking about earlier oh okay hot, right yep he had Walker Skateboards out of uh, Florida he just started a brand himself. Well, he'd, he'd already had the brand from way back in the seventies. Right. But um, anyway, he he started sponsoring me, and then when there were contests in California, he would pay my airfare. Sweet. To California, and I could compete, but yet still live in North Carolina. Yeah. I was kind of homesick when I left North Carolina. I'd never really been away from home long except that tour for Pepsi. That was only a few months. Yeah. So I was homesick. I wanted to live on the East Coast, and um, so Bruce would fly me out there. And, uh, and I would do contests. And then I got sponsored by Gotcha Sportswear, which is a big surf clothing company. Back I remember there. the hand logo, right? Yeah, I, I, I think I had a hand logo. Something. It was like a splash. Yeah. Like, I remember Gotcha. Had a bunch of different uh, artwork, you know, associated with the brand. But that could very well have been one. Yeah. But um, so Converse picked me up. So now I've got Converse. i got Gotcha. i got Walker Skateboard. i got Indy Trucks. i got... Damn, you're doing um, well. Bones Wheels. Damn. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but back to your question, though. So now I'm going to compete, you know, as often as there were freestyle contests. And um, and then uh, a guy called me one day and made a business proposition to me. This guy named Skip Flight. And he had a, a handful of bicycle shops in North Carolina. And his kids skated, and they had heard about me. Because once again, there was no pros in North Carolina back in that day. Yeah. Now there's a handful, you know, Mark Johnson. Still not, you know, still not that many compared Hill, to Cali, but Hendrick, yeah. Chet, Joe, I mean, Kenny Hughes, the list goes on and on, guys. You know, they made them in North Carolina. But um, so anyway, uh, he called and had a business proposition. He wanted to start a distributorship. Sick. Um, and he wanted for me to use my connections that I had met from having gone to California as much as I had and by competing, right? Yeah. To, to hopefully get brands and shelters. Okay. Oh, man, that's a win-win. I didn't have any money to speak of, you know? Yeah. And, um, I was, it is a I job. Was, I was actually working construction on the side. I'd work construction, building houses, 
and I'd go do contests on some of the weekends. It was like it was like night and day worlds. They, it wasn't meshing together. I'd be on a job site with guys banging nails, and, and uh, you know, and they wouldn't have any idea of what I had just done that weekend before in, in California or wherever the event was. Yeah. It's like I was living two lives. So when Skip called me and made me that offer, of course I listened to him. So long story short, we started Eastern Skateboard Supply in 1985. Right. He had all the money, so we had a line of credit with the bank, and, and he's the one that had uh, credit. I didn't have any credit because I was too young. I'd never really owned anything. Yeah. So we started like that, and we started very, very small, and we had like one brand. And we, we, we get another brand, and another brand. And after a year and a half, I made him an offer to buy him out. And, and he graciously agreed. What made you want to do that? Because, you know, partnerships are tough. Oh, yeah. Okay? And, uh, and I, I prefer to not have partners in, in any of my businesses, if I can. Um, however, I would not have what I have today with Mr. Skipper's Five. It wasn't for Skip Life giving me an offer. So, I, so anyway, I made him an offer to see if he was interested in selling because I honestly didn't think his heart was in it. He didn't come from skateboarding. Yeah. He was a businessman. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? His reason for coming to me was simply a business decision. His his idea was to start a distributorship, hopefully get to benefit from some of my connections I'd made as a skater. Yeah. But he wanted to buy stuff at greater price and sell it through his retail shops uh, and make okay. that extra spread. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. To me, it's smart business, right? Yeah. It's shrewd. It's smart. It's good. There's nothing wrong with it. But my whole point is his vision was not to see Eastern grow into a big distributor business, a distributorship. He's trying it was to stream more about how can I maximize profit margins for my retail stores, okay? So that's the reason I thought maybe he'd be interested in selling. But sure enough, he, he, he was. Yeah. And um, so I went to the bank. Um, you, and, still, you still never owned anything at this point, huh? Well, well I was only 50%. I owned 50% of these guys. Oh, okay. So, 50, so yeah. 50 50 partners. Right? Okay, yeah. But, um, but when I went to the bank and told them my idea, they were like, oh, man, what a great little business you have there, Reg. Oh, bless his heart. This is, this is really cool. Uh, we're sorry we can't loan you the money because uh, you don't really have any collateral. You know, in order to borrow money from the bank, you've got to have something that if you can't make your payment, we can get our hands they on. They get strong arm, yeah. Right. But that's good. That's, that's, and I totally understand that. Yeah. You're in the business of loaning money. You've got to have some way to protect yourself. Cover your ass. So I understood that. Yeah. So my dad and my mom put their house up wow. uh, for collateral. They love you. And loaned me <laughs> the money to buy out my partner Skip. Wow. And the rest is history. I was able to pay my parents back pretty quick. Wow. And um, with everything, they paid back. And so that's how it all started. To answer your question, making a transition from a skateboarder to a business. You answered okay. it awesomely. <laughs> so, so from then now, from... Uh, I started in 85 with Skip. I think I bought him out in maybe 87. Um, up until 91, I was doing both. I was still competing. I was still going to contests, you know. Oh, yeah. And I was one of those guys, one of the freestyle guys, you know. And I don't think it's any secret now. A lot of the guys that were the pro freestylers had transitioned into the industry. I Rocko see that. one, Rodney another one, Kevin Harris. Hera Willinger, Soltech. John Mark Bissett, yeah, you know, Soltech, Don Brown. I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm probably leaving out somebody, but yeah. a lot of the guys did make the transition. Into Why do you think that is? 
Because they're outsiders? Because skating changed. Well, it might have something to do with the mindset of a freestyle. I mean, we were the kind of guys that we would go off hours on end by ourselves. Not skating in a group necessarily, but by ourselves with our boom box. Set it down, you know, it was a routine choreographed to music. Yeah. And so I think. That's kind of sick. I've never really thought of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Literally for hours, man, I would go. I'd go to NC State on the outdoor basketball court. And I would set my music out there. And hours on end, I'd practice by myself. I was determined. I'd sort of mad when I missed trips and throwing boards. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Same thing you street guys did, you know. Yeah. As well, you know, stuff. But um, anyway. So to answer your question, I think it's got a lot to do with just the mindset, the stubbornness, the willing to want to succeed, you know, yeah. not ever giving up. Almost yeah. also like being told that you can't do something too. Yeah, I like that yeah. too. Yeah. But it adds it adds fuel to the fire. You're just like, oh, I'm gonna make this happen. Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Uh, to to actually know the beginning of Eastern and. Uh, you're pretty brave to like just want to take it on. Did you just have a vision or just had the vision because you're like, I'm going to buy them out and you had a vision of which way you're going to grow it and you believed in it that strongly? Well, I had a, a couple of people that had set an example for me, uh, one of which was Bruce Walker, the same as, once again, I mentioned him, my buddy down here in Florida that had Walker Skateboards. Yeah. Well, one thing I left out of the story is Bruce was a distributor too. So he had Walker Skateboards that not only sold his brand, but he also was a distributor. He was a distributor for Kyle Peralta. He was a distributor for Tracker, for a lot of top skateboard brands. Well, I'll back up just a minute. When Skip White made me that phone call and offered me to start a distributorship, the first thing I said to Skip is, man, I don't know. My buddy Bruce is a distributor. I said, I I wouldn't want to compete with him. I wouldn't want to do anything to hurt his business. Yeah. So I called Bruce, and I told him, I told him, look, I've been approached by this guy. He actually knew Skip White because White bought stuff from him at his distributorship. So it's a small world, as yeah. we all know. And so he said, I know Skip, you know what Bruce told me? He said, Reg, I appreciate you asking me. He said, but it's a matter of time. If you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. Thank you for asking me, but go ahead and do it. He gave me his blessing right. to do that. Yeah. Because I don't think I would have felt right starting a distributorship on the East Coast, knowing that one of my best friends was in that same business. But Bruce's theory was, look, there's plenty of room for everybody. I'll focus on my customers and doing what we do. And Reggie, you do your thing. And we have remained very close friends to this day. I, I like that approach. And I noticed that in business, too, is there's a uh, famine mind. There's a certain famine mind state that people have where they think there's not enough. And I look at competition as like, you know, we're working towards the same cause. So, like, you know, you, if you're growing, like, with, with skate brands and with skate shops, that's the level I look at it is. It's like, okay. If this skate shop is cultivating kids to love skateboarding and those kids are sharing skateboarding with their friends, it's going to keep growing. You it know, all Exactly. And yeah. if you're doing it and you're doing it, then there's going to be crossover, but we're going to have hot spots, you know? So exactly. I, I, I see some people look at it as like direct competition and they like want to tear each other down. And I think that's famine mentality and it's yeah. kind of it's not a healthy way. I'm thinking, and Bruce Walker really, I attribute uh, him to, you know, teaching me that. Yeah. Because I, I didn't know what to expect when I asked him. And you know, I'll be totally honest, and a lot of people who listen to it may not believe this is true. If Bruce had told me, what are you doing, Reg? No, man, this is that's how I make my living, man. I, you know, I, don't, I don't want somebody else doing this over here. And then I would have not done I can tell you've mentioned I, him five times. You definitely look up to him. I admire Bruce. I'm yeah. so thankful for 
the, some of the lessons he taught me in business and for being gracious enough to give me his blessing when I was given that offer. That's huge. And that's why we're still buddies to this day. We've done many, many surf trips since then together. Sick. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, switching gears a little bit. Do you have kids? Yes, I have two kids. I have a 12-year-old daughter named Lindy. Right. And I have a 22-year-old son named Mason. Wow. Yeah, Mason's a pro surfer now. He travels all over the world. He's wow. big waves. That's sick. Yeah. So you managed to build this distribution and manage a pro career and then have kids while you're working on the business as well? Yes. Oh, yeah. And it's all balanced out correctly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. It's intimidating. It's perfect. I have my share of ups and downs and rocky roads and all that, but... uh. In general, it's all great. I'm so thankful. And I honestly hope that, that my kids someday want to step into the business and hopefully take it over. That, that's, that's what I love. But I don't want to put any pressure on them. I want them to do their thing. Yeah. It makes them happy. But I do want to provide something for them if, in fact, they do want to take it. And it seems like he, your son is already following in the culture. So. He is. He, yeah, he, he skates too, but he's more into surf than he is skate. But right now, he's doing what I did when I was his age. He's out things on his own, traveling around, meeting people, making connections. Because one thing I didn't say is is how important relationships have been and still are to my business. Yeah. It's all about who you know. I mean, you got to have good business sense, but I'm saying without relationships, we have nothing. And that's how I got the brands that I have. Like I said, it started out with just, first it started out with Skip. I mean, he knew me as a skater, maybe that often. But then all the brands over time I kept getting, like, for example, Independent. Yeah. Fausto Vitello and Eric Schwentz, God rest with their souls. Those, both of those two men, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you right now had they not believed in me and given me an opportunity to sell their products. Yeah. Larry Bonnet, Tracker. I mean, George Powell, uh, Richard Novak, NHF. I mean, it's all about relationships. And I had met those men, you know, while I was a skater. And for one reason or another, they believed that I was worthy of giving a shot at yeah. selling their stuff. And they knew there's money to be made, you know. And, um, and they did give me a shot, but it's not a handout by any means because I had to pull my weight and earn my keep. Yeah. Because I don't want a handout from anybody. Yeah. I'm not bringing something to the table that kicked me to the curb. Yeah. Because I want to be earning my keep. A partnership. Yeah. yeah. So this a win-win is what I like to say. A win-win. You know what I've noticed as, I, as I'm getting older and I still have skateboarding in my life and I call the brand all I need <laughs> is that I realize when the dust settles, yeah. especially because we're growing out of a recession, but I've been skating since I was 13, you know, but growing a brand out of a recession, I've realized that like when the dust settles, those that remain really need skateboarding in their life. And that's where those you find the true people that remain after, you know, when it's not for profit. I mean, it's always for profit to some degree because you're doing a business. But when your heart's in it and your main goal is not to make money, but it's to build and connect and, like, to see your dreams happen and exactly. expand, that, those, you find those people, and then you can, you can work together and help each other grow. And it seems like that's what you have done. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to still be here. You know, it's, you know, it's hard to, when, when, when you grow and grow and grow, and then all of a sudden you do reach a plateau, and then things, whatever. It might turn the other way because I've been through several cycles in this industry. This is what I wanted to you ask you about. Suck it up, man, and do. You got to just keep your eye on the ball, focus on what you're doing, focus on taking care of your customers, and manage the business wisely. Yeah. Because some, I mean, there's been a lot of people that could not uh, survive a downturn in the market, you know. Yeah. And we survived a few. You know, yeah. To say, you know, and it's 
got to be humble. And um, I always tell, like, my guys, I, there's not a, one job at each particular supply that I've not done myself. Yeah. Whether it's clean a bathroom, sweep the floors, unload trucks, load trucks, pack orders, do whatever. I love that. And uh, you know, if it got to where I had to do that again, I'd do what I got to do now. And the best, thing, the best thing about that is if you have your hands on everything, then you can empathize with your empl- your employees and you can you can understand it. You can be a great leader and like because you know the sweat. And the, you, when they come complain to you, you can be like, yeah, I know that's a pain in the ass. I clean the toilets. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like I tell my son, too. You know, he, he's made it clear that he does want to get into the business, you know, and I was like, son, when you start, I don't be prepared to start some big office upstairs, <laughs> start right back there with the boys. Humble yourself real quick. Way, you don't have respect for those guys, you know? Yeah. Start and be willing to get your hands dirty like everybody else. Earn and work your way up like they have. Talking about cycles, you're the perfect man. I've had uh, a lot of people on the podcast, and I've wanted to ask this question, and I have asked this question, but you're the perfect man to ask this question. Because I only have a limited time in skateboarding, especially in the business side of things. And like I said, we grew out of a recession. So when I got into the business side, business is down, you know. From you being in, how long have you been in business with it? We're my 31st year. Okay, so have you seen anything different? I, everyone's like, when the recession hit, everyone's freaking out. and da-da-da. Like people fear that it's not going to rebound and whatnot. Have you seen this ebb and flow? Because to me, it seems like it goes in the same cycle. I, I have seen it ebb and flow. Right now, kind of a weird state. I can't quite put my finger on what's going on. I will say this, though. I honestly believe that right now, participation is as good or better than it's ever been. As far as people riding skateboards, but people from all walks of life, all shapes, sizes, different genres. Um, But what's going on, though, I think, is, and, and you can't blame people for wanting to get in the industry. See, I don't... I don't blame any of these people that jumped on the bandwagon, so to speak, and started their brand or whatever. Because all they want to do is want to do that. They want to make their living doing something they love. Yeah. So you can't blame them. However, the market cannot sustain but a certain amount of people at a, at a given time as far as manufacturers, right? Yep. So what's going on right now, I think, is with the market just full. Yeah. Okay, that's one thing. Which kind of goes hand in hand with what I'm getting ready to say, too. The longboard part of skateboarding is what really helped us all the last five years, right? Yep. Well, that seems to have maybe plateaued a little bit. It's not going to go away. No. You know what I mean? But, but it did help our industry because it brought people into skateboarding that otherwise would not have gotten on one. Big boards with soft wheels. Think about it. Yeah. You know, one of those. You don't feel out of place just cruising with all four wheels down. You don't look like a coot just carving. Yeah. However, guys are intimidated. You guys are intimidated by riding, you know, maybe a conventional popsicle shake, you know, with a street setup, and you're just going straight and not really doing any tricks. Yeah. So, back to what you're asking, I, I just think I just think we're in a time right now where it's a little flooded, and, and there really doesn't seem to be a leading trend. You know what I mean? Like, like penny boards did a lot. Yeah. Mean, a lot of people dragged on or whatever, but it did a lot. You got people riding a skateboard who wouldn't have other ones. Yeah. So, so that was something that helped us grow, you know, the last few years. Things over time, you know, nothing stays number one forever. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. So man. right now, we don't really, I can't put my finger on a really leading trend to driving everything. Yeah. You know? So I, I think what we're kind of going through a correction 
or a shaking out, um, cleaning up a little bit, maybe, um, and the strong survive. The ones that are taking care of their customers and managing their business wisely. Yep. They're not spending more than they've got. I love that. Be the guys that stick around. Yeah, when the dust settles. Yeah, I, dust settles. I, I like that too, because it's much like anything, like a relationship. You have to nurture it and you have to really care and you have to invest in it. So there's a lot of people that say that they need skateboarding but they don't like their heart lies elsewhere because I see it all the time I see a lot of people like oh I love skateboarding so much but then their priorities aren't based on skateboarding so I'm like well you're saying one thing but then your actions are another I like if it's something that you really need then you're going to sacrifice and do what it takes to keep it in your life and build it in and then you'll reap the benefits because you worked really hard and you stayed focused and all that stuff so I think with the market like you were saying, it's easy for everyone to get in during a recession because prices are down and it's accepting as ever. And I love that skate. I say it on my podcast all the time. Skateboarding's for everybody. Because yes. like, just because you're that dude in the, just because you were the dude in the parking lot and you love skateboarding so much, doesn't mean the other dude over there that does it differently doesn't love it as much as you. Like no one owns skateboarding. It's a, it's a discipline. You know, like everyone should be able to have access to it. It changes people's lives. It's an individual sports way to express yourself. Exactly. So when it does settle, I feel like those that that work hard to figure out the business side and, and those that hang on to their vision, the few that do, that's where you will start to figure out what goes on. It's a crazy time. I totally agree. It is. But I, I'm even enjoying it now. I, I really am. I, I love mean, it too. I'm with you. It's, it's kind of good too. To get faced with challenges, it lights a fire under your butt, you know what I mean? Uh, it keeps you from getting lazy, that's for sure. Yeah. So we're constantly having to fine-tune our business model and, um, and, uh, and adapt and, and try to stay ahead of the curve. You know, the Internet's done a lot of good and bad for skateboarding, you know? I mean, for the brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shops, it's it's maybe hurt it a little bit because, you know, the kids are driving everything right now, the end user. Yeah. They can get whatever they want just with their phone, right? Well, that's pretty challenging for a mom and pop shop, you know, when the kids that maybe had gotten their last couple boards from them are now ordering it online, you know? So... It slims up your pockets a little bit, but it, but what you said it keeps you on your toes because now you got to start throwing events. You got to bring it back to what we were doing before, and and yeah, it makes you. I agree. I agree. It's challenging, but it's exciting because you can get you back to the essence of it. I love the internet though, and I see the two sides of it. But I, yeah, that's why I do the podcast because I think it'll help mature skateboarding. The podcast will because if we hear all the expressions from everyone involved, then we can kind of gauge and we can balance and compare and we can as a collective. If you go through my podcast, I have 100 episodes with everyone involved with skateboarding, and we can kind of see where everyone's hearts lies and where dire- what directions we can move in. That's been my big goal is, like, how can I get everyone that loves this thing as much as I do that have invested their life? I want to get them all on the podcast so when someone's listening, like, to all the episodes, if they're a fan, they can go through and hear it all, and, and then they can nitpick, and we can see our strengths and our weaknesses if we just communicate, you know? This has been a huge part for my growth and I hopefully am contributing to the growth of skateboarding in some way I think years down the road because I'm going to do it forever I love podcasting hopefully it'll be continue to be a huge tool in that um okay I don't want to take up too much more time um I I mean actually I want to have you on forever but but I don't want I know you're busy um I wanted to ask you about Surf Expo I know you've probably been coming here for a long time I just want to ask you about your experience and 
what you like uh, about the show. I'm and a fan. I'll say that. I've been literally, I think this is like my 64th Surfe Expo. Wow. Because I've done it for over 30 years, twice a year. I've never missed one. Yeah. Even before I started the company in 85, I was coming here as a pro skater. Oh, yeah. Because he had a booth. So I'd be here standing in his booth, you know, helping him sell stuff. So I've kind of lost count, but it's like 64, 65, something like that. Straight Surfe Expos I've been to. So I love it. I mean, it's something I look forward to. It's not great to me as far as... Um, I mean, it, it has changed. I mean, years ago, I'd have people in my booth with clipboards trying to get there early to, to, to grab the inventory that was on the wall. Yeah. It's kind of different now because people don't sense the urgency to necessarily buy what's on the wall because they can go home and sitting in their underwear at night get on the computer in order in order and within the region straight to them. Yeah. But, um, but so, so, so it's changed, but it's important because once again, it's about relationships. Yes, yeah. a great place to not only meet with our customers, but also meet with vendors, people that I buy from. It's just a, it's just a good thing all the way around. I, I do have to manage the amount of money I spend here, though, and make sure it's proportionate to the amount of business. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not always, it's not always so much you do here at the show, too, dollar guys. A lot of it comes down the road. Yes, sometimes we meet people here and we don't hear from them for six months when they're ready to open the shop. But they're here doing their, their homework. Yeah. Um, it's nice that they attract those people and it's all under one roof and you yeah. can do that. All right, well, since you've been here for that many years, how's my booth looking? Your booth looks great. It's not too bad? No, it's perfect. It's, it's, it's simple <laughs> and you're getting accomplished what you need to get accomplished. Sick. Turning people on to your brand. I tried to do it like my my idea was like make it a man cave where I could podcast and just bring. I want it to be DIY looking because it's simple, it's clean. I want to be honest with the brand and let people know where it's at. So everything's here done by my hand. So uh, no fun intended, but it's all you need. Yeah, one hundred. No, seriously, it is because we keep the cost down and uh, you never see it. Yeah. Sick. I appreciate that. Um, while I have you, I might as well just tell you a little bit about my brand. Uh, the reason why I called it All I Need is I had when I was growing up. Uh, my 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 mother has dealt with drug abuse pretty much her whole life, and you know things have happened to her. So I was born into a situation like that. My father was in a motorcycle gang. He passed away when I was 13. And uh, right then is when I found skateboarding, 13. I was an angry little kid. I actually was living with my friend's family because I didn't have anywhere to live. And uh, I just I just started skating. Some kid, the Solstice Skate Shop in New Bedford, Mass, which I'm sure they've been around for 18 years, Jay Vasconcellos, he saw a get a little kid and I had a skateboard and he was just super nice and he taught me all about skateboarding and the community of skateboarding and like I was like I was just an angry kid so it was nice to have someone introduce me to this and bring me into this community and teach me about boards and teach me about skate parks and demos and jams and like the whole thing and I fell in love and submersed in it so that's where the name came from because as I got older and like I mean, I, I like much like you. I was pro. I started off with Fibro on Flow, and then I went to Birdhouse, and then from Birdhouse I went to New York, and then World Industries turned pro, and I uh, got to travel the world and all that stuff. And then, you know, the industry shrank, and then my mon- my money shrank, and then I had to get a job and all that stuff. But even when I got a job, I was like, I just didn't want society to take skateboarding away from me because I seen it happening to too many people, and I like love it. And even if I'm not a pro, I love like watching kids do it. I teach skateboard lessons just because I love sharing power slides and back tails, and you know what I mean. Like, because as soon as a kid finds out about how fun it is, they're like hooked, and I know it's gonna 
be therapy and be community and fun for them the rest of their life. And uh, so that's where the name stemmed from, All I Need, because I was like, always remember that it's a need in your life. It's not a fad. It's none of that bullshit. Whether the world tells you to get a job or whatever, find a way to keep it in your life. Even if I have to work and shell the money out of my pocket, which I have done, then it's worth it because I know skateboarding is worth more than money, you know? So that's kind of where the idea has stemmed from, and that's why I'm incredibly proud of what I have accomplished with very little money at all. <laughs> it's cool. Well, um, I guess that's about it, man. Is there, besides Pepsi, <laughs> well, your parents, to go back to that real quick. Pepsi was involved in skating. So that's what I'm saying. It seems like it's always kind of been in cycles. Like even with the big brands and stuff, it's kind of been ebb and flow like that. Big brands come and go. Yeah, it's called Pepsi Skate. It's different. Their whole program is called Skate. And it's different skateboard knowledge and team exhibition. Wow. It's a really cool program. And, they're, and, they're, and, uh, and we travel all over the country. We, we, sometimes we do five demos a day. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. We go to malls. We go to strips. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Got right up to Bert. That's it. Perfect. Sounds like a tough demo, though. It's hard, but we combined our Bert and free stuff. So it wasn't just one or the other, the combination of both. And the Bert was the last part of the show because that was the crowd feature. Everybody be gathered around the band. The big airs and just like. We were doing rock and rolls, we were doing inverts. Oh, sick. Frontside grinds. Yeah, what's up, Scooter? <laughs> Dudes, man. <laughs> um, actually, did you ever feel pressure to bring your business out west? Um, yeah, I have. I mean, I've thought about it, uh, but and of course, I never say never to expanding into something like that. But um, there's also a, a I'll push the other direction, that is a lot of the manufacturers that I distribute for, I think they would prefer me not be out west because it's, you know, some feel like maybe that's their territory and they, and they enjoy selling direct to the shops out there. No, and I understand that. Yeah, it makes sense. So, I, always, I, I never say never. Yeah. Because, I mean, there may be a, a time when we have to do I'm very thankful for what I have. I mean, I have Eastern and North Carolina. I have Austin Avenue and South Lake East Florida. Oh, yeah, just real quick, I forgot that part of the story. Once again, my great buddy Bruce Hall, yeah, the one who gave me his blessing to start the company. Yeah. Well, years later, when he decided he wanted to retire, this who he came to, and I bought the company. Oh, wow. And that's how I ended up on that. No shit. That was the distribution company. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I left that whole part out, man. But uh, Relationships, yeah, though. It goes back to that. So with Eastern and North Carolina, Ocean Avenue, Florida, and now South Shore in Houston, Texas, we have a nice triangle yeah. and a good little network. And I've kept the same employees in place at Ocean Avenue and South Shore. And now we're all one big family. Actually, I got this jarred question for me. Were you ever nervous when it... Did you ever notice a moment where you could tell that your business was going to grow and you were nervous for success, I guess, or to, to the next level? Um... Because I think about that a lot. <laughs> I, I was more excited. Yeah. 
But, you know, but you have to... One thing I always try to tell people when you're growing a business, at least for me anyway, some people don't look at it this way. Some people will go out and borrow a ton of money and then jump up real quick. I was all about taking baby steps yeah. and growing a little bit at a time. I like that. Like, huh? like uh, yeah, so that way you never upside down in debt or anything. Like, the first building I bought was in like 1990. This, you know, we started 85. Bought a building and I was. Um, behind Endless Grind Skate Shop in Raleigh. That, that's my shop, by the way. Yeah. And, and um, I was there for the first five years and then we bought a building, right? A little um, 5,000 square foot building. Okay, well then, as things were growing, instead of going out and buying a new building, I added on to the building 2,000 square feet. Sick. And then I added on to it another 2,000 square feet. So I was taking little steps, but I paid cash for it and I was borrowing money. Yeah, that's good. So uh, it's always about uh, growth carefully. I like that. Instead of jumping too far too quick, and then all of a sudden the market changes because we have no control of what's going on, and then you're left upside down, and I want to avoid that. That's very reassuring to me because I preach on this podcast, I say inches add up, and that's the approach. Yeah, because I'm the same way. I, I like because I I approach business like I approach my life. Like I never knew if anything was going to be stable, so I always just tried to find silver linings and, and follow those, and the inches add up. So now I have a fiance and dogs, and I own a house, and it's like, but it took a long time, and it took, and I did, but I I know friends that jumped ahead, and like, and then things happened, and they weren't prepared, and they had a downsize, and it was like a lot crazier of a story. Yeah, than, you always gotta have a plan out. Yeah. Worst case scenario, right? You know, have, have, you know, have a way to backpedal and get out. You know, I, I still treat it that way today. Do you have any pets? Uh, I do. We have a little dog. Yeah. What kind of It's a toy schnauzer, oh, which sick. I never thought in a million years that what? I would have one of this kind of dog. <laughs> a little girly dog? So, yeah. Well, this is my girlfriend and her daughters. I got it for them. Right? Oh, awesome. And now I love it. Of course. Carpet. I could have told you that. Yeah, sleeps yeah. in your bed, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a long-haired miniature dachshund. Oh, man, I love dachshund. Yeah. yeah that's what I like. uh, his, his name's Elwood. I named him after my father. He's classic. I'm going to show you some photos right now, actually. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you, No worries. Yeah, I, it's not often I get to sit down with someone like you and pick your brain. I I, I admire what you've done, and, and uh, I hear nothing but praises when I mention your name. So it's fucking awesome. Thank you so much. And, and someday, if you ever want to do it, I open the door for you and your company to be a part of us. We you think we can do to help you. We'll be honored and proud of you. Awesome. Well, we'll talk off there. <laughs> Thank you. Hang on, brothers and sisters. Liberation is near. It's almost time. Where you at? Put your fist up. We gon' twist up. Say, come on, come on. Experience the train. Hop, 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 hop,